0: Hello to everybody who likes a good bike ride around Germany. It's beautiful Anonymous. One hour, one phone call, no names, no holds barred. I'd rather
1: go one-on-one. I think it'll be more fun. And I'll get to know you. And you'll get to know me.
0: Hi everybody, Chris Gethard here. Welcome to Beautiful Anonymous. I am so thrilled to be talking to you again. Thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting the show. It really means the world to me. I am the luckiest person I know that this is my gig. It's my job. Talk to people. Help people air out conversations. Help you get lost in someone else's life for a while. Well, stop worrying about your own problems. I'm uh, really thrilled to tell you that I've been back on the road for a while plugging shows. You've heard it thus far. They've all been stand-up. but guess what? We've got our first live, beautiful anonymous tapings coming up and they are in two of my uh, hometown crowd cities, Philly on October 15th, Jersey city on October 16th. You can go to chrisgeth.com. I want to pack out these live tapings. The, uh, the up is the late show. Those shows are selling better than the, uh, beautiful anonymous live tapings. And if you're uh, feeling good and you know, look it up. There's, COVID protocols at the venues. If you look at it, you go, that feels safe, man. Let's blow it out. Let's make these first live, beautiful anonymous tapings back. Just parties, celebrations amongst our vaccinated friends. And uh, yeah, I just did some shows in Minneapolis. And the per- a person sent me a DM cursing at me because I asked for COVID protocols at the venue. So I like to keep it safe and people yell at me. It is what it is. Anyway, today's episode... We taped this one a few months ago, and I got to tell you, I remember it well. The, if you've been listening to this show for a long time, you know that I grew up Catholic. And like many people who say that, it's you, you, you reconcile a lot of your upbringing as you learn how much you want to let that go or retain or what it means. This caller took you pretty far. This caller was a monk living in a monastery. And you hear me giggling because I'm going, wow. This is that, I mean, you wanna talk about a specific life. That is about a specific life as you get and notoriously one that people live humbly and privately and you don't hear a lot of public explanations of what life is like as a monk, let alone what it's like to be in there on your way towards fully living that life, maybe realizing it's not for you. You can imagine this This one is just, and, and the caller is just such a down to earth person and this was, that's what, one of the things that blows me. This is just the life. This is just the life the caller lived. And to me, I'm going, what are you, what? That's, this is, this is like a movie. Well, no. Some people, my life's like a movie. To me, this person's life is like a movie. Maybe all our lives are like movies and we just got to slow down and talk to each other and remember that sometimes. Enjoy the call.
1: Thank you for calling Beautiful Anonymous. A beeping noise will indicate when you are on the show with the host. Hello? Hello. Is this Chris? It is. How's it going? Hey, how's it going? I'm doing well. How are you? I tell you what,
0: I like your vibe and I like your audio connection. Those are the two things that are jumping out at me right now.
1: (laughs) That's good because my phone is really old. I'm kind of surprised you'd say that, but that works for me.
0: Listen, uh, maybe it's that thing, right? Like they used to make vacuum cleaners that never broke. Maybe your old phone. Supplement. Oh, dude, I
1: say that all the time to people, but I use air conditioners instead of vacuum cleaners.
0: You but sound yeah. like a million yeah, bucks yeah,
1: Well, that's great. That's great. Is this a landline? No, uh, uh-uh. it's like uh, it's my wife's old phone. It's uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. Wow.
0: Well done. Thanks. How are you?
1: Oh, I'm doing okay. I'm uh, just uh, taking a break from from work, so that's always nice. I'm a I'm a mailman right now.
0: I work for the post office. That's cool. We talked to a mailman a few months back on the show.
1: Is that right? Well, I'm yeah. uh, I got to confess I'm like four years behind on the show. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Like I started I started listening back I think in November, um, but I started at the beginning and i haven't caught up yet i'm i'm still in like 2017 i think uh, you guys are everyone's everyone's still talking about trump and stuff like that so <laughs> it's, it's interesting it's interesting to remember what that was like you know to get that reminder
0: yeah i i think a lot about man if people find this in the future they're going to like hear all these indications of things that come to pass when people are just casually talking about it you Mm -hmm. you haven't you haven't even hit the stretch where every episode mentions the pandemic casually and then moves on
1: i know i'm i'm kind of dreading that i think just because i don't know everyone has pandemic fatigue so like three or four years from now i'm gonna get another dose of it i guess but uh it is what it is
0: i think this show actually reflects though of like oh we got to talk about this for 30 seconds i think there's a lot of episodes like that like yeah
1: yeah there's the pandemic just move along yeah.
0: yeah. Can we talk about anything else, please? Anything else. And exactly. now you and I have done exactly. it too.
1: Right? I know. I know.
0: So what do we, well, we won't
1: about? have to we we don't have to talk about the post office. If you've already talked to a mailman, um I called you guys because I used to be in a monastery. I used to be a monk.
0: So, used to be a monk.
1: I used to be a monk. Yep. Uh,
0: now oh wow. Okay. I got a lot of
1: I know. I figured. Yeah, it's, people usually <laughs> usually have to collect themselves, and then uh, then the questions start.
0: <laughs> well, okay, yeah. There's a lot of questions um, because you think of monks, and I think people usually think two things, right? You think Tibetan monks, and you think mm-hmm. Christian religious order monks.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, and I you, was I was the latter. I was a Catholic monk, a Benedictine,
0: a Benedictine monk. And, and yeah. all, all monks are also priests, correct? Nope,
1: nope, that's, that's not true. That's a, a common misconception. Um, I, I'd say nowadays, probably the majority are, but there are also monks who are just just brothers. So it's kind of, um, you can have it either way.
0: What, and were were you like, a priest or a brother?
1: No, no, I was just a brother. I was, I was only in the monastery for a year, um, which was uh, enough um but no to to become a priest you could either be a priest um just like a parish priest and then join a monastery if that's how your path goes or you could join a monastery and as part of your formation you could become a priest but uh, i didn't get that far so that's yeah
0: so when you were a i don't i got to tell you i don't know much listen Grew up Catholic. I don't know yeah. where you stand on that. You said you used to be a monk, so I'm sure we got a lot to talk about about how one is mm-hmm. being a monk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know for me if people have been listening for years know like my 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 grandparents are from Ireland. My my mom my mm-hmm. my other grandparents my grandma was a teacher at the Catholic school where my parents were both students and met. Yeah. And eventually got yep. married, as did all of my family. So I have all these tangled up feelings with Catholicism, even though I'm not practicing. And I it makes me realize I've heard of uh, brothers. Like I, I know my brother went yeah. to La, my, my older brother went to LaSalle University, which I think is a Christian brother university.
1: Yeah, I think so. I don't know if LaSalle might be Jesuit. I could it's- be wrong. I mean, like, a lot of those universities are Jesuit universities. I know
0: Fordham's Jesuit. Um, yeah, I just looked it up. La Salle is Christian Brothers, um, but I don't know what hmm. being a brother is. I always just figured that was a type of priest. Do you are you do you no. take all the same vows? Are you, are the celibacy and all that?
1: Yeah, yeah. Eventually, you take vows. Um, I made it, so it's it's kind of like. A lot of the time I use the analogy of, you know, you, you go to college and you get your bachelor's and then you work your way up to your master's and your doctorate. It's kind of like that, but it's also, uh, the formation process, I think is also kind of like a relationship where you just kind of start out a little, can start out casually kind of, you know, you're dating and then you're in a relationship and then you become engaged and eventually you get married. It's kind of like that. Um, there's kind of a, a progression to it where you become kind of more and more seriously connected to the community to the point where you do take vows, um, almost like you would take vows on your wedding day. And mm-hmm. then you're, in theory, you're committed to that community for the rest of your life. So and that's, you- um, that's something that's true with, with the Benedictines that I was a part of, but it's also true. I think across Catholicism
0: and how far, you know, you, you've said this is a process that has many steps Were you, were you a full on brother? Had you taken the vows? Did you take that? I had,
1: I had a name. Like I, I didn't take, I hadn't taken any vows yet. That usually comes after a few years. You start out as a postulant, which is, um, kind of, you know, you express interest in the community and you live with them and, you know, pretty much live the life. Um, and that usually lasts for six months to a year, and then you enter the novitiate, so you're a novice monk. And usually at that point, you get your robes, you get a new name, uh, but you still don't take any vows. The the novitiate is kind of the, uh, the part of the formation process in which a lot of monastic education happens, so you learn about what the life is like and the traditions and stuff like that. And then it's only after you complete the novitiate that you start to take vows. Uh, So I didn't get that far. Wow.
0: But you were in it.
1: I was, yeah. And it really is. I mean, you're, there's no like, uh, you're not like halfway in. You're either in or you're out. Yeah. So I was, from day one, you know, even though you don't have the same sort of, um, you haven't had the same sort of experience that the older members of the community have, you still are. You really are in it, yeah.
0: And what are the Benedictines known for, like the Jesuits, I think, are known as educators. Yeah. The ben- mm-hmm. There's a- other orders I know that are known for working in all different fields. What oh, the yeah, you've got
1: though? Franciscans and Dominicans. Uh, the Benedictines started in Italy. Um, they were founded by Benedict of Nursia back like 1,500 years ago. So they're actually one of the oldest religious orders in Christianity and they're kind of, they all do things. I, I, each monastery is different. Um, the one that I was a member of, we did outreach to, uh, immigrants. So helping with, uh, citizenship problems and stuff like that. They ran a retreat center, which is a pretty common thing nowadays. Um, I'm trying to think anything else. And then there's just like day-to-day stuff. Like there was a huge vegetable garden that I worked in. There was a monk who specialized in making vestments and he sold those. One thing that the Benedictines are known for is, uh, they kind of strive for autonomy. So whether they can be self-sufficient completely in the sense that they actually farm their own food and are able to feed themselves, or at the very least they provide services that support the community. So they aren't, you know, necessarily uh, begging to to make ends meet.
0: So the two big questions that I have that I bet most people have when they hear about this stretch your life is their Mm -hmm. companion questions, right? How'd you get into this and how did you get out of this and why?
1: Yeah. 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 Those are the big Mm -hmm. ones, right? Oh yeah. Those are huge. Like those are, all the other questions are unimportant compared to those two. Yeah. Do you want me to start with the first one, how I got in? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I grew up I grew up Catholic just like you, not Irish Catholic. Um, I'm from I'm from the Midwest. So, not a particularly Catholic part of the country, but the uh, diocese that I grew up in is considered probably one of the most conservative in the country. So I grew up in a very, very conservative Catholic family. Um, I had a great uncle who was a parish priest. My dad had a cousin who was a parish priest. My mom had an aunt who was a nun. Uh, So the entire idea of religious life was very familiar to me, even from an early age. So I had, I think, half a dozen high school classmates who went into the seminary right after high school. I went to a Catholic high school um, and Catholic grade school. So it was kind of just part of like the the air I breathed, you know, from a very early age from, you know, the time I was born actually. So when I was in college, I was really interested in history and religious studies. Um, but I was interested not so much in Christianity as I was in Islam and Buddhism. And I think that kind of just, led me into I, at least entertaining the possibility of like, oh, like maybe I could enter a monastery. Like maybe that's uh, that's where God is calling me. I, I think that's probably how I would have phrased it at the time.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then you walk this path. So I was kind of,
1: yeah, I was kind of a seeker, you know, a spiritual seeker back when I was, In my late teens, early 20s.
0: Can I ask a personal question that's invasive, but this is anonymous, so that's kind of what the show is? No, please, please. Do you know what it is?
1: Do I know what the question is going to be?
0: When I say an invasive and personal question.
1: Oh, I can guess, but I don't want to, <laughs> oh, go ahead, go ahead. I mean, I'll be honest with you. And if, if it's something I can't answer, I, I, I won't. <laughs> well, here's the,
0: well, I guess here's the question is, you know, you tell me, you know, you're like, oh, I was in college and I was studying this that. I go, kids start drinking in high school, mm-hmm. K- kids start dating, fooling around, having sex
1: yeah.
0: at a young yeah. age. Is that something that you'd been doing and said, I'm ready to take vows and no. forego? Okay, so you entered the priesthood, or you entered the monastery, and you hadn't experienced it. I
1: hadn't really, yeah, I hadn't had that part of my life yet, which I think um, I didn't really think too much of at the time, but in retrospect, I think it would have been good for me if I had actually kind of known, I guess, known what I was missing out on, because I think uh, it's all this Catholicism was just Fed to me, you know throughout my life, I went to Catholic grade school and high school in college. I went to a, a public university, but I was in a Catholic fraternity. most of my friends were Catholic, all of my family was very, very Catholic so i was uh and I know you feel this as an Irish Catholic, I felt guilty about lots of things that are kind of just a natural part of growing up, and uh I also just you know didn't really I don't know. I was kind of scared of, uh, experiencing some of those things. So mm-hmm. I just didn't. And I just kind of, you know, kept my head buried in my books. And, uh, <laughs> when I looked up, I was in a monastery
0: <laughs> hearing you say that that's pretty indicative, right? When I looked up, I was in a monastery. Does this mean, cause I think you said you were only, you were in a few years if I remember.
1: i was in for a little more than a year. Yeah. a little more
0: and then did you was there i'll let you tell the story i'll let you tell the story of what that year is like oh, no. well and, if
1: you have what what do you want to ask next i guess do you do you want to know how it ends already or <laughs> i guess we already know how it ends i'm, well, not, I'm yeah, not i there mean, anymore it ends
0: with you leaving i guess yeah so i guess we can just skip to that what what prompted you leaving what, what i yeah. think
1: it was kind of everything i hadn't done the reality of that, I think probably caught up to me, you know, um, the monastery I was in, in the United States was a pretty small one. Uh, there were only about eight or nine members. And, uh, for my formation, they were going to send me to Germany to a much larger monastery where I would have my novitiate. I would have spent a couple years there and, uh, I made it to Germany and I was there for about three months probably halfway through that time like it quickly sunk in like you know what like this this is really cool germany is amazing and like i'm i'm by myself i wish i could like share this with someone not just when you're a monk you're never alone you have a community of brothers but i think i felt like i was you know incomplete even with that community like i wanted companionship so i think that's that's kind of what led me out of the monastery and, and that's actually fairly common for monks there's there's a lot of turnover um especially within like the first i'd say 1 to 3 years there's just you know <laughs> people realize what it's all about and uh you don't want to waste their time and you don't want to waste your own time either
0: so they're used to it so these these benedict they're mm-hmm. not they're not shocked when people turn around and go I don't know if this is my whole life, but thank you. This this is a common thing. Yeah. And do they pressure you? Yeah, and and I'm sure. Is there pressure to stick around, or or is it understanding?
1: Um, I think there's a. You can you can sense I think the disappointment Um, nowadays in Catholicism, especially in in Europe and the United States. There's kind of a vocation crisis, so there aren't as many people becoming priests, and there's also not as many people becoming uh, nuns or religious brothers. So it does, it, it hurts if, if you, you know, have tried to develop someone, put resources into it, and then, you know, there's, there's no payoff, uh, when someone leaves. But I think it happens often enough that, uh, there's an acknowledgement that, you know, this is, this is life, you know, So especially, um, I was in my mid twenties, or eh, early mid twenties, so I think they probably, especially realize with with younger members, that it's pretty common for them to, kind of, it, it becomes if you get a reality check while you're there, you know. Yeah,
0: yeah. And how many years ago was this that you that you wrapped up your?
1: This monk, was monk face. Um early 2010s. I don't want to be too particular sure. about the date, but, but it feels far uh, not away quite 10 point. years ago. Um, certain parts of it do. Um, I mean, I'm the life I live now is completely different. I there's, and I don't, that's not to say it didn't have an impact on me and, and still does, but you know, you leave the monastery and, and you leave, a a life that's, really, really built around a routine. And then you kind of have to ease yourself back into the real world. Um, and that happened a long time ago for me. So yeah, it's, it's not really something that I dwell on too much, but I think about it from time to time.
0: And what are the bullet points of your life right now? You mentioned mailman, pretty far yep. away mailman. from being a monk. Yep. Yeah, there there is a there is a
1: routine to being a mailman, but no, now now I am a mailman that takes up a lot of my time. We're um, incredibly busy right now. It's it's been like for the last six months, I've been working six day weeks, sixty hours a week. So
0: there's that's not a the whole other, lot going on
1: outside of that.
0: That's what the other mail uh, the other mailman told us he'd worked like to, like every day, including weekends, for months. Everybody listened, was like, "Wait, what? Let's give these yeah. mailmans a breather." Male people, male people, a breather. Um, <laughs> how about the non-work aspects of your life? As far as you had mentioned that you were thinking companionship was a priority, and you realized that.
1: Yeah. As you were in the mm-hmm. monk,
0: how's that side of life?
1: That that all fell into place very smoothly. I got married uh, about it'll be two years in October um, that I got married. So that was actually kind of a there's some serendipity to to that story. I met my wife. We had a close mutual friend, so we knew each other just, you know, had never met in person, but at least knew who the other person was. And we met when I was uh back at my university giving a guest lecture on monastic life for a religious studies class. Um and she was one of the students and she uh came up to me after class and introduced herself and I knew who she was and then kind of the rest is history, you know.
0: So she saw yeah, you give so, a long, I mean, she saw you give a lecture about your t- life as a monk while you were yes. in it. Now you're married.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I had actually, at that point, I was out of the monastery, but I was okay. still. Um, I yeah, I went back to university a couple times to, to uh, do a favor for a, a religious studies professor of mine.
0: Got it. So got it. Yeah got
1: it yeah it would have been it would have been great if she had pulled me out of the monastery um but unfortunately (laughs) unfortunately the, the timeline doesn't match up so
0: and let's pause there I know we were all praying for one of those romantic comedy moments but it didn't happen in this case real life happens that's probably the overall premise of this show right here's how real life happens you know another aspect of real life earning your keep we got ads Go ahead and get to them. We'll be right back. Thanks to all of the advertisers who help us bring this show to the world. Now let's get talking to our monastic friend.
1: It would have been great if she had pulled me out of the monastery, um, right. but unfortunately, <laughs> unfortunately, the the timeline doesn't match up. So
0: right, I feel like there are. You do every now and then hear about one of those Catholic families where you hear about, oh, that's my uncle and aunt who used to be a priest and a nun. You do hear about those. I know, events. yep. That, it does happen.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. My, my wife actually is, she's an atheist. So she I is. kind of went from, yeah, I kind of went from one side of the room to the other with that one. Are you, um, are you she, an atheist? Grew up, I would say right now I'm an agnostic.
0: That's, so I'm pretty, not really, that's um, pretty far um, swing. I haven't made up
1: my mind. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things where I don't think it's too uncommon to be raised in such a a strict Catholic environment. Um, when you are old enough to kind of stand on your own, to kind of give everything up, you know, and just look for, you know, it's, it's tricky because the rest of my family remains very Catholic. So I do realize that in that sense, I've I've disappointed them.
0: Well, in a lot of Catholic families, it's an old cliche. Right? I know from my parents' generation, they always say like every family wanted to have a priest. Like everybody was hoping like mm. my my dad, there was pressure on him to become a priest. And he's he yeah. he's pretty far away from a priest to tell you that. He's a man <laughs> of science in a big way. He's got a PhD in environmental science. Um but I would imagine if you come from a family that's really, really devoted to Catholicism, you must have been a bit of a golden child when you entered the monastic life.
1: Yeah, I think there was a, there was no no surprise on my parents' part when I told them that that was what I was considering because I think um, the natural step for me would have been graduate school after college, um, after I got my bachelor's. But I, I told them the monastery, and um, I don't think there was any hesitation on their part. Mm-hmm. So. Mm -hmm. Um, that's, yeah, that really sums up what my life was like for the first two decades, just a very, very Catholic environment. And I don't say that in a bad way. Like I'm, I'm really thankful for how I grew up. I think there, it was just such a loving atmosphere and that extends to to the schools that I went to too. It was just a really good place to be, to have a childhood.
0: I tell you, I don't know what to think. I don't know what to think and it's not about me, but I sit here, I go, man, like you think about charity, you think about Mm -hmm. people who dedicate their lives to others. You think about, I think about all the people I knew growing up Catholic who were the actual, you know, like ground level grassroots people whose Sunday church was the center point for a community and that community did a lot to help others. And then, you think yeah. about education, you think about how even today there's a lot of Catholic schools that offer a great education. And especially, you know, a century ago, there, there were a lot of Catholic schools that, the reason there's so many Catholic schools, in my understanding, is because in an era when Catholics were not necessarily welcomed with open arms, those schools sprang up and said, well, let's get to work and and get educated and yeah. do it ourselves. And provide yep. that mm-hmm. and it becomes this institution you go there's a lot of beauty to that I hate yeah. to go there but I'm sure you've thought about it and I'm <laughs> sure you've been asked about it it's really hard for me to look at those as the sum total of being a Catholic at this point because I, I don't even I, I I must have mentioned this on the show because Catholicism comes up a lot on the show but I recently mm-hmm. found out that the uh, the priest at my neighborhood church which was 3 blocks from my house which I mentioned yeah. my one grandmother was a Catholic, was a teacher there. My family yeah. was there all the time. I didn't go to Catholic school. My parents at the very last second decided public school instead. But I was there uh, CCD confirmed there, baptized there, confession there, yeah. everything. Major yeah. part of my life. Every wedding, every funeral I went to up until my mid 20s there. Yeah. Guess what? The priest, and there were three or four priests, and he priests, and he was the cool one. Comes out after he dies, his name gets released in the papers. He was bringing oh, kids gosh. down to the shore. He was getting them drunk. He was touching kids. Oh. I'm going. That I was yeah, alone in a room yeah. with that guy. We used to knock right. on the rectory it, it door and think, see like, how he why, was doing. Why
1: didn't it happen to me? Yeah, you sit yeah. there, you go.
0: I, but I also knew. I'll tell you what, my friend. I did confession one time. Ugh. And everybody in my neighborhood, all the kids, even the even the public school kids like me, everybody was an altar boy. I said, my brother yeah. was an altar boy. I said, I don't want, I don't like it. I don't like it. I just had, a, <laughs> I just had a sense of like, I just, I had a side eye when I was even a little kid. I have to wonder, you know, who wants to go this heavy? Yeah. That, I mean, we're actually, we're almost 30 minutes in. This one's flying, but um, you were part of that establishment. You had opted into yeah. that establishment. When news yep. like this comes out, you must think about what it means as someone who opted into participating in it. You know, and yeah. you just said mm-hmm. like Catholicism was a wonderful part of your life, your education, your community. Yeah. How do you reconcile the other side of it? Because I throw my hands up at this point. And, when, and then when I see the Catholic Church turn around and slam Joe Biden, and you see that American bishops oh, are yeah. lining things up where he yeah. won't be able to get communion anymore because of. being a a Democrat who supports democratic policies on abortion. I go, you have to be kidding me that you're going to wag your finger at Joe Biden. And meanwhile, my parish priest was touching kids and you fuckers covered it up. I, I, I go nuts. I go nuts. Anyway, you were in it. You have to have thought. No, I don't know. I don't know if you can
1: reconcile those two sides of, of Catholicism. I mean, it's, and, and yeah, I do say that I had a, a wonderful childhood, but I don't, you know, that certainly doesn't mean that everyone did. Um, I think it's probably just, I was probably just lucky, you know? Um, and I, I, think the, the diocese that I was in was, uh, conservative to the point that, I don't know, it's, it's, it's very, very traditional. A lot of when the clergy sex abuse crisis kind of, Oh, mate started making headlines like in the late nineties, early two thousands. Um, it didn't have like a huge impact where I was, um, in my diocese. So that wasn't, wasn't always on my mind at that age. Um, since then, I mean, allegations have, have come up. I think there was, you know, and it's, it's not just about, um, the sexual abuse of children, it's also priests taking advantage of their authority to, you know, have relationships with with mature consenting adults. But, you know, when that power element is there, that also makes it, you know, wrong. To say nothing of it just being completely against celibacy, um, which is a whole nother uh, issue to talk about entirely. Um, but yeah, I just really, I don't know if you can, it, it's very hard to, Take an institution like the Catholic Church that professes that it has the entirety of the truth and that it's been around, you know, since the time of Christ and was a church founded by Christ. To take all that and then to see all these disgusting imperfections, you know, and somehow people are okay with that. People kind of just brush it under the rug and. I don't know. Keep going to communion. Keep going to mass on Sundays. It's, it's kind of a contradiction, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I throw my hands up, but it's not on you to explain uh, 2000 years of church based power (laughs) dynamics and how they roll downhill to (laughs) evil doing today. Um, Yeah. Yeah. It's not on you but now an agnostic married to an atheist still in the Catholic family. Do you still, do you still go to church ever?
1: No, only for, you know, weddings and funerals. That's, that's pretty much it. So we live, uh, we live just a few blocks from the the church that I grew up attending and, and there's a school, you know, attached to it that I went to school at. So it's a great neighborhood. We, uh, I found my way back, but, uh, I don't know if we'll ever, uh, I don't know if we'll ever be regular attendees, you know,
0: do you have any children? Are you planning on having children?
1: We're planning on it right now. We just have a cat that's, <laughs> um, for for us. That's we're, we we both work quite a bit. And, um, our goal right now is to pay off our house before sure. we have kids. Sure. So we're, uh, hoping to do that in the next couple of years and then hopefully have a couple of kids in, in quick succession. And, uh, Start raising a family. So but yeah, now it's just my wife and uh and our cat.
0: And will you be sending the cat to Catholic school? Have you thought about this? I mean the kids, <laughs> the eventual kids.
1: I, I've talked about it with my wife before and she she went to public school. She didn't grow up with any sort of religion. Um, which I think in a way explains her atheism. Um I I thought it was a really high quality education. Um and I can only speak to, you know, my own experience in that regard. I I just think it really prepared me academically. And um, I think also it was just a pretty good environment to grow up in. But at the same time, it's like an atheist and an agnostic. I really don't know how we would stomach having our kids go to a religion class every day or go to mass every day, which is kind of the practice. Where, uh, where we live. So I'm not, I'm not really sure if there's a, a workable solution. So it might just end up being public school and then uh, probably explaining enough about Catholicism that they can understand, you know, where the rest of our family, my family specifically, um, is coming from.
0: Are you in touch with any of your old monk friends? You know, I'm not, I haven't
1: been on social media since, like the 2016 election, just because it was so so toxic, a lot more politics than uh, I would have, you know, liked to have experienced. So I am out of touch with them, but I left on good terms. Uh, my wife and I, when we first started dating, we visited the monastery where I was, and we spent a couple days there, and she was able to to meet a lot of the members of the community. But um, and I think, as far as I know, they're almost all still there. Uh, but I'm not. I'm not in contact with them anymore.
0: I gotta say, I've only spoken to you for 33 minutes of my life, but you have a very calming, even toned demeanor. Well, thanks. <laughs> it, you make sense as a monk because that's the, the cliche. Is monks as very thoughtful, grounded oh, people? Right?
1: Yeah. I'll, also, I'll tell you this living in a monastery for a year, they're, they're all human, you know? And that is, like you said, it is kind of a cliche. Um, but yeah, you get people of all sorts. You get introverts and extroverts. You get people who have gentle dispositions, but you also get people who, you know, are <laughs> can be angry and upset just like anyone else. Sure. So maybe, maybe you <laughs> just caught me on a good day, Chris.
0: <laughs> well, it begs the question, like, You mentioned you joined a Catholic frat. Yeah. I I don't, yeah. (laughs) Now, listen, I don't, I assume that monks are sort of the same classifications as priests where there's, there's not female monks in the Catholic religion.
1: Well, there are um, there. They're not. Well, I mean, nuns. Um, I I feel when I say monk, I'm talking about specifically the order that I was in the Benedictines. Right. Um, there are religious brothers and other orders that might be called monks just in passing. Um, but if you want to get technical monks, like being a monk is kind of a fairly specific religious vocation. And there are with, with most monasteries, there's also a female component. There's a female monastery that is the same, you know, has the same kind of is under the same umbrella, um, kind of, has the same uh, service, charism, if you will. So, so that is, I mean, they're just not called monks. You should sure. call nuns or religious sisters.
0: Right. And not living under the same roof, right? Like, generally the sisters will no, be in no, a convent. No.
1: Although, yeah, yeah, a convent. Mm-hmm.
0: How different is being a Benedictine monk, like the day to day living circumstances where, like you say, everyone's human? How different is it than the Catholic frat house at the end of the day? <laughs>
1: Well, actually, the thing about the Catholic fraternity, when I joined, they were just in their third year on campus and they didn't build a house until after I graduated. So I I didn't really get the full experience of Greek life or of Catholic Greek life. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. So there was there was no uh, no real fraternal day to day to compare monastic life to. Got it. life in the Benedictine monastery was, it's very regimented. There's, you know, it all revolves around prayer. Um, and the Benedictine motto is ora et labora, which in Latin is prayer and work. So the day is kind of structured around those two pillars.
0: So this is not, I know, and I may be misquoting him. Like, I know my brother has said, like, some of his professors could go out and throw down and drink and, like, keep up with the yeah, kids. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> This is not the Benedictine way.
1: Um, there's no, uh, nothing in the, the rule of St. Benedict that says you can't drink. Um, and there's, I think, a, I mean, if you, have you ever had Benedictine, the liqueur? I have not. Okay. Are you, do you drink? I can't remember.
0: I'm a teetotaler. Two decades now.
1: You are a teetotaler now? Yeah.
0: I mean, like, we both come from Catholic families. Every family has a priest. Every family has some (laughs) teetotalers, And then then a lot of things in between.
1: (laughs) Well, uh, no, the the Benedictines actually have a a tradition of brewing um, and of winemaking. So they're certainly not opposed to alcohol, but, you know, everything in moderation. So that was usually, usually, you know, you could have a beer or a cider or a glass of wine on, on like Sundays or on holy days. Um, and, uh, you know, in the bigger communities, they're obviously, you know, the wider a net you cast, you might end up in a monastery with 80 or a hundred monks. You will have people who um, could probably drink everyone else under the table, you know, but that's,
0: uh, I don't want
1: to, don't want to make it sound like that's, that's uh, normal.
0: <laughs> right. It's not animal house. We're not talking animal house. No, certainly
1: Certainly not. <laughs> so
0: what, because I, I imagine, I mean, you've mentioned service, study, I'm sure a lot of religious devotion. But well, yeah. it, What else, uh, when monks are letting the guard down and having fun, at least in your experience, can't speak for everybody, what types of things do you do? It's like, oh, we got a couple hours downtime. Is it? Is it board games? Let's pause there. I bet everyone can use this break to sit there and think of what are two things they think monks might do for fun. Pour it over your brain. I'm, I'm thinking hard on mine. Uh, we'll find out when we get back. Thanks to our advertisers. That's all the ads, everybody. Nothing left but more phone call. Let's get to it. What else? Uh, when monks are letting the guard down and having fun, at least in your experience, can't speak for everybody. What types of things do you do? It's like, oh, we got a couple hours downtime. Is it is it board games? Uh yeah, there was
1: I'm trying to think. When I was when I was in the United States, um the community was pretty small. So, you know, not everyone had common interests. I did a lot of a lot of reading in my spare time. The schedule can be kind of demanding, so I, I slept a lot. Um if like on a Sunday I didn't have anything to do in the afternoon. I'd take like a three hour nap and that was was like the highlight of my week. Um, And when I was in Germany, I I did a lot of bicycling on my own just because it was a a great, great part of Germany for, for bike riding. Um, And, you know, other monks kind of, you know, everyone has their own interests. I had a a buddy at the monastery in the States who was a, a huge, Oh, he was, he was a cinephile and a, just a, I mean, Huge fan of Wes Anderson. So, I mean, you find people with, you know, various interests.
0: I'd say, uh, <laughs> what a what a thing to have done. I know that's silly, and that's kind of like the premise of this whole show. But what a thing to have <laughs> done. To have spent a few years on no, it, something so specific and to now not do it yeah, anymore.
1: I know. And at the very least, you know, it it was a year out of my 20s that I'll never get back, but it made for, for great anecdotes, you know, and I'll have those for the rest of my life.
0: What are some of the ones that jump out as the best?
1: Um <laughs> there was a we had one one uh member of the the monastery, he was a priest, so he was father instead of brother. And uh he was going to a mission assignment in somewhere in Latin America. I can't remember if it was Colombia or Peru And I was helping him pack and um, I was going to drive him to the airport and he was trying to make a little more room in his suitcase. So he was taking out some stuff he didn't need. And I think he was bringing some clothes to give away when he got to this mission. And uh, he had a, he had a pack of briefs and he's holding it and he just turns to me. He's like, do you, do you like boxers or briefs? And that was just like, What's going on here? Um, so that one always mm-hmm. stands out. That one made an impression on me. I don't know.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. Yeah, it. it was. It was. It was kind of awkward. I don't know. I'm trying to think of. Uh, well, the the thing about Benedictine monastic life is like, every day is very very similar. You know, the the schedule that you keep, like what I did. There was a lot of prayer. I did a lot of gardening. Um, we uh, ate meals in community. And then there was, you know, you had recreation time in community, which is kind of just everyone sits around and reads magazines or shoots the breeze. Um, but yeah, there,
0: I don't know. I mean,
1: there are anecdotes. I I might have to dig a little bit for for some of them.
0: That's okay. I got to ask, like, As a, as a person in his twenties, you said like, I want some companionship and I'm not trying to get you to talk ill when you describe, like, I remember my twenties, I wasn't doing too much gardening, really any, (laughs) was there any element of you just on a basic level going like, there's a lot of really beautiful elements to this, but it's, it's, it's kind of fucking boring pardon my French. Is there any side of it that's just like, I don't know if I can do this every day for the rest of my entire life? Yeah. I I think, uh, you
1: realize that kind of early on, you know, it's not, you're not applying for a job. It is a lifetime commitment. So it's, it's not really something that you could pick up for. I mean, if you wanted to, it, it does happen. Someone will be in the community for 10 or 15 years, even longer than that. And, uh, they might, you know, come to the conclusion, you know, this is not something I can do for the rest of my life. Um, but I do not know if I was ever too bored. Um, even, even the gardening, I mean, there's, I think I was at a place in my life where I was trying my best to be contemplative and trying to, to meditate a little bit, even if that was out while I was working. So, Stuff like that I think was a kind of natural fit for where I was then. But now I don't I don't know. I don't think I could do it. I, I don't think I could do it now.
0: And and again, just thinking of my twenties, and I bet a lot of people are like, Oh my twenties, like this is when I would like this is when I like made mistakes and drank too much and partied too <laughs> hard and made ill advised choice. Did you have a stretch between monastic life and meeting your now wife did you have that did the pendulum swing in that direction um
1: i i wouldn't it didn't swing that far i don't know if i did anything to the extreme but i definitely um i think made up for lost time as far as just being a little more oh i don't know willing to take risks um <laughs> You know, I I had crushes and infatuations when I was in high school and college, but I was also just kind of, you know, you've got that, there was that Catholic side where I just felt kind of guilty about everything. Um, So then after I left the monastery, you know, I was able to, to do some of the things that I kind of wish I had done when I was younger.
0: Good. That's good. That's good. And this is th- look. This is something that you. It's. I'm not asking you from any position of authority. Just as someone who experiences enough and cared enough to attempt to dedicate your life to it. Yeah. Do you think? I guess it's more conversational, right? Because I sit here and I go. I would think at some point the Catholic Church might go. We have to be a little more forthright about culpability in some really dark stuff. Maybe it's time to think about, you know, but it's it's wild. I sit here and I'm going, I'm sitting here, I'm going, I wonder when they're just gonna say priests can get married and that the celibacy thing is gone. Yeah, yeah. You sit here and you think about things like that. Um, when are, When are things gonna loosen up and then instead you're seeing, I think the Catholic church becoming less and less of um, a liberal voting block being, Mm -hmm. I think, pulled to the right. And then you sit there, you go, man, it's, it's a little silly for me to maybe think that because even when my parents were children, masses were in Latin. And when they, and when, and when they liberalized that and let it be in the, the language of the country in the same place, and instead, my understanding is people were furious at that. So I go, oh, yeah. No, oh, so now I think they're going to let priests marry as a way to but you'd think, Oh, they would see that as a way to revitalize the church. Cause like you said, there's not so many people signing up anymore. Um, in right. The States yeah. To do yeah. So you sit here, you go, Oh, I wonder, I wonder how that's going to bend. But it seems right now that it, a- again, as someone who hasn't been to church in a long time and is only speaking from someone who like, feels a connection based on how i was raised i go oh it's i it seems like catholics are less when when i read this stuff about them you know con- bishops condemning biden and teaming up to do it i go mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i do remember all the flaws of the catholic church growing up and not everybody would say that being a democratic voting block is a positive i'm not claiming that in my mind that aligns with my values and i think i was raised with that as part of it and i go oh, that yeah. seems like it's less than it used to be that seems less it seems like it's getting more conservative and hanging on to some of the stuff in the face of what seems to me like it would be necessary change i don't know what's your thoughts
1: well i gosh i feel like uh in catholicism you know you've got people on the far ends of either spectrum you have people who traditionalists who want to either have things stay the way they were, or even go back, you know, to, to how things were before Vatican II.
0: Yeah. You got Mel you the Mel Gibson Catholics. The, you got those yeah, Mel Gibson yeah. Catholics.
1: Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have people on the left who want things to change a lot. Um, and you and I both know that Catholic church is a very old institution and it might not be capable of, of changing that quickly. Um, but I think the vast majority of people fall somewhere in between and what's important for them might not be so much, you know, the politics of it, whether it's, you know, debating celibate clergy or climate justice, but I think it's, you know, the people who just feel at home in a church on a Sunday, you know, who make up the majority of Catholics, all the politics that have kind of, become more and more have drowned out so much of just the spiritual and religious side of it for them, the politics aren't as important. And I mean, that's just, I hope it's like that. Um, But I mean, I haven't been to church in in years and uh, I don't really know, you know, what they're, they're preaching homilies about right now.
0: I don't think I've ever spoken about this. I don't think I've ever aired this out. I've made some jokes kind of on the surface of it, but now Uh, we're far enough away that I think I can share some details Let's hear it. <laughs> Cuz you just said something that's sh- true, which is like so years ago when my wife and I decided to have a baby. You know, we we're trying. And it's that fun, it's that thing. It's that thing of like, you know, when you're very young everybody's like don't and especially with the Catholics, we all know, like oh, don't sex is bad. You'll have a baby out of wedlock. And and it, and yeah. then you, and oh, then you get older and you go, "Oh, it's, actually it's not that easy. Actually, you have to really focus and try and you have to pay attention <laughs> to a lot of stuff." after a certain age and I found that in the course of wanting to have a baby and wanting that to be a healthy baby and I felt very rattled because I realized how gargantuan that is to think about having a baby and wanting everything to go smoothly and healthy and fearing passing on my own mental health stuff and this and that. And I found Mm. myself compelled for the first time in years to go to church. And specifically, I would go to church, sometimes not even on Sundays, but if I was in the city passing a Catholic church and it was open, I would go and I'd say a little prayer to the Virgin Mary. Um, Yeah. And I found myself feeling very connected to this idea of like, I grew up in this church with this, with this symbol, with this, with this female symbol. And, mother and motherhood and the manger st- and all that stuff. And I felt myself. Yeah. And a few times I would just duck into a church and say, we're going to try this thing and it's scary and I need your help on this. And then I'd sit there with all the Catholic, all the bullshit. Who am I? I never go to church. I don't contribute. Mm-hmm. I don't believe. And now when it's something I need, I'm going to go ask for it. And then wouldn't you know it? I went to church. I went to mass, I think three weeks in a row. I'm not exaggerating. When all the news about the massive level of abuse in Pennsylvania specifically came back, I was like, I came back three weeks ago, guys, three weeks. I don't think (laughs) I've been back since. But that thing where you say that what people really want is a place that feels like home, And a place that feels like comfort. Um, Yeah.
1: Yeah. And it's tough. I I mean, where I'm at right now, kind of as an agnostic. Yeah. Yeah. I I do acknowledge that, like, I left a lot of good things behind when I stopped going to church. And there were, there are some, some parts of the politics that um, I certainly disagree with, but there are, I mean, there's a reason it's still around, you know, there, there's a reason that a lot of people still feel. You know, the pull of, of something like that, despite the fact that there are all these terrible parts of it, you know? Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's that's probably just, you know, the human condition. I think a lot of us, not everyone, but a lot of us need to have hope that there's, you know, something greater than us out there.
0: And it's such a connector, too, right? Like, I know... Um,
1: oh, yeah. Well, and I, I try to explain it to my wife. Um And she didn't grow up with any sort of religious upbringing, just how you can go to a Catholic church, you know, in Paris, in Delhi, in Tokyo, and even though the language is different, the exact same thing is happening, you know, in each church. And just to have that connection among humans, you know, it's just, it's pretty, uh
0: pretty groovy (laughs) i I was just gonna say the same thing i will say that generally when i enter catholic churches now it's actually when i'm traveling and it's not for religious services it's oh here is a place that has like historical value and it's a sure yeah and and you know it's a stop that people say oh you got to see this cathedral you got to see this church and then you go in and you go like i've been to the vatican and you know you walk around saint Peter's. oh wow you you go. this is Magical, you know, and then I've been to Sri yeah, Lanka where there was yeah. this one little town where most of the town was Catholic in a country where there's almost no Catholics. And you go, mm-hmm. there is something about the human condition that wants to feel connected to other people. It provides a sense of safety, like you said, it provides safe harbor. And there is that side of it. There is that side of it. Even when I drive through for my sure. old hometown and I drive past Our Lady of Lord's Church, right where Eagle Rock Ave and Main Street meet in West Orange, New Jersey, even when I drive past it, I go, man, I cannot deny that every aspect of my life for the first few decades was, de- was defined by relationships that swirled around this building and around yeah. people participating in the traditions that, unfold in that building. It's how my parents yep. met. It's where- Mine too, mine too. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Now you deliver mail.
1: I know, it's, uh, it's, it's a living.
0: <laughs> <laughs> is it something, do you, cause we're talking about the monk thing today cause it's an extraordinarily interesting story and it's a, it's a year <laughs> of your, you say it's a year of your life in your twenties, you wouldn't get back as a way to define it. Does it cross your mind in some sense or another every day? Or is it something that feels far away?
1: Um, maybe not every day, but uh, depending on the circumstances, you know, it might be a couple weeks go by. I haven't thought of it, but then um, I might be training a, a new mailman and I've got to, they've got to hang out with me for a day and uh, inevitably it comes up. So every so often I have the opportunity to to tell people about it. And, you know, it's just, it is one of those things, even though it happened a long time ago. Um, it's still, I, I get to, it gets refreshed every so often.
0: It's wild. It's wild. What do we got to do to get the mail carriers of the United States some more time off? <laughs> oh, you're, the, you're, the second, you're the second mail carrier who's called this show and described a work week that is untenable. And I don't like yeah, it. Yeah,
1: I volunteer. I volunteer for it. I, I could be working less. You, um, could, you pick up that right suite now over time. Yep, it's. Uh, I'm making about twice as much as I should be right now, um, so it's it's kind of ridiculous. It's never been this bad, um, but the silver lining is we'll be able to pay off our house pretty soon. So,
0: is that just mismanagement from the top down? What is why? Why are mail carriers working um, sixty hour? Like why?
1: Oh, no, there's there's a lot. It's okay, okay. and I'm I'm just a small cog in a very big machine. Sure. So what I can only talk about what I see myself. So at our station in particular, we've had some personnel problems, um, you know, carriers who've been sick or injured. I don't think we got as many, uh, new hires during COVID. So Mm -hmm. we're starting to feel that now Mm -hmm. because we would have people who could stand on their own, um, otherwise, but, Just because, you know, people weren't really looking for work a year ago. Right. So there's, I think there's a lot of different factors that are going into it.
0: Having participated in both, which would you say is the more monstrous mismanaged bureaucracy, the United States Postal Service or the Catholic Church?
1: (laughs) Well, oh, my, again, my perspective (laughs) on the Catholic Church was also, you know, pretty, uh, I was was very young and uh, the Benedictines, (laughs) themselves on their uh their independence sure so the, I the I monastery kid. I was in yeah the monastery I was in was was fairly i'd say moderate to slightly liberal um, and uh each monastery kind of functioned independently of of other monasteries, so I mean I guess on the the flip side if if you had you know a superior who was not doing a good job then you know, there's no one really above him to
0: right, right, to right. fix things. But right.
1: no, I, I, I don't, I don't look back on the monastery <laughs> and wonder like, well, what was going on there? I was kidding.
0: I was. I just, they knew what
1: they were doing. That's that's the thing. You've got guys. You're in a community with guys who've been there for like forty, fifty years. Yeah. So by the end, you know, it's like a stone in a in a riverbed that's just completely smoothed. You know, it's yeah. just like, yeah. oh, this is. This is natural. This is, you know, it's, it's it's really a very lovely thing to see.
0: We have a minute left. How do you think we should oh, wrap this barn. up? How do you think we should oh, wrap man, this up? Oh man, I don't up? know. You're not going back. There's no part of you that sounds like it's going back.
1: Oh no. This, at this point, I don't even know if that's possible. You don't um, even go to church. I mean, I'm married. Yeah. No. Um, no regrets, but uh I mean, I I'd like to I'd like to reconnect with them and just, you know, maybe see him from time to time Uh, because it was was just a really cool part of my life. But yeah, I don't really feel the same tug that I felt when I was uh, in college. I hear you. I hear you. Yeah. I was, I was young and idealistic.
0: I have to thank you uh, in our final 30 seconds here because any, any chance to uh, examine the ins and outs of my own, uh, of my own upbringing it's always much appreciated and you've allowed me to, to kind of. Oh, my
1: pleasure. My pleasure.
0: Yeah. Thank you. Thank you.
1: Hey, don't, don't even mention it. It was a, it was an hour well spent.
0: And wait till you catch up and hear this other postal carrier. Um, episode.
1: Oh dude, it's going to take me like four years to get there, but. Uh, uh, you should, I'm telling, I might, skip, I might ahead. skip ahead. Skip ahead to that to one. It.
0: You're going to be pumping your fist saying this, here we go. Somebody's. So speaking
1: Maybe it's for me. someone that I know.
0: We've had a couple. I think we've had a couple. I think we've had a couple of postal employees. One other mail carrier, and then right. I think we've had one mail carrier, and then another person who worked within the infrastructure. But yeah, you're
1: sure. Yeah,
0: you're now a part of a growing, <laughs> a growing network of postal employees who have have been able to. Well, I'm, I'm happy.
1: I'm happy for the representation. We're a big bunch. There's like, I think more than half a million of us. Oof. So. Right. Yeah, it's, it's about time that our voices were heard.
0: <laughs> Happy to be a platform. Thank you so much for calling.
1: Hey, thanks, man. You have a good day.
0: Caller, sincerely, thank you so much. I hope I didn't make that one too much about me, but um, there's just so much. There's always everybody's childhood. You got so much to unpack and you took uh, Catholicism so far and saw it from so close up. And it was really, really fascinating to talk to you about it. Thank you so much for sharing. The show's produced by Anita Flores. It's engineered by Jared O'Connell and Marcus Hamm. Theme songs by Shell Shag. Go to chrisgeff.com if you want to know more about me, including the dates I'm out on the road doing stand-up and live, beautiful anonymous tapings, and wherever you're listening, there's a button that says subscribe or favor to follow. It really helps the show when you hit that button. You can find our latest merch at podswag.com. We've got mugs, shirts, posters, and more. And you can find episodes of Beautiful Anonymous without any ads at all. If you go to Stitcher Premium, there's a lot of great shows over there, too, including the genres, heavy hitters, Mark Maron's over there. You will uh, use the promo code STORIES. to get a free month Stitcher.com slash premium. Promo code Stories.